Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 106 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for a really exciting episode on birth control and women's hormones. And I know this one has been a really long time coming. We've been promising it to you guys for a while now. Um, so just jumping right in, birth control has been used in you know so many different forms for thousands of years. And um, often we think of it as something to provide freedom and choice to women, which it is, or to reduce our monthly trauma. But today we're going to talk about how birth control can actually silence the symptoms of hormonal imbalance, blanket the impact of PCOS and endometriosis or HPA access distress and beyond, as well as provide you with guidance on how to wean off birth control and balance your hormones naturally, regulate your cycle, and really empower you to take control of your own fertility, um, either to promote or prevent pregnancy. So we'll have strategies for both wrapped in there. As much as we can fit into today's yes. episode. Yes. And I know already that there's totally going to be a part two to this because I just geeked out when putting together today's show notes. In fact, I mean, even saying that birth control has been around thousands of years, I knew that oral contraceptives hit the market in the fifties, but around 3000 BC, Condoms were made from fish bladders, <laughs> linen sheets, Whoa. and animal intestines. So, like this, we've been trying to prevent pregnancy strategically for thousands of years. And around 1500, we first started using spermicides uh, and using condoms from linen cloth sheets soaked in a chemical solution. Uh, moving forward into different forms of rubber, thick rubber probably wasn't very sensitive or sexy. And um, into even the early 1900s in the States when birth control clinics would be shut down, there was jail sentencing, a lot of the influence, you know, of the church and state on sexual freedom and the, the role of, you know, birth control being something that was preventing God's will or preventing a child, if you will. Um, so there's there's a really interesting history down the rabbit hole, but oral contraceptives hit in the late 1950s, 1960s. And um, at first it took until 1965 for the Supreme Court to give only married couples. You had to be married to have the right to purchase birth control. And otherwise the the United States Postal Service was able to confiscate it like a like a forbidden drug. I mean, it's, it's really wild, really <laughs> wild. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to hit both ends of the spectrum because in some ways, like you said, Becky, birth control is like a women's liberation. It's it's freedom and it's choice. But I think that in many ways, we think of it as a very, um, I guess, non-influential, passive thing that we add to our body to just do what it does, prevent pregnancy or prevent acne or to reduce our cramps. And we don't think about, like you said, what we're blocking and um, you know what could be driving dysfunction in the body because of taking an active steroid. Birth control is a steroid, mind you, and how that influences our body. So in fact, the American Congress of um, OBGYNs note our period as the fifth vital sign. Um, they state that symptoms and changes in menstrual cycle indicate a whole host of underlying hormone imbalance, as well as potential whole body health issues, including inflammatory conditions, autoimmune disease, and so much more. I can already tell we're going to get fired up here. So yeah, <laughs> guys, our intention is just to give you 
more information to make a choice. And I wish this information had been given to me, you know, 10 year, 10 plus years ago, um, when birth control is handed out, it's literally handed out like candy. It's like, Oh, you want birth control here? You yep. go. no side effects discussed, no potential long-term ramifications discussed. So we're going to go there. And yes. again, just meant to empower you guys with all of the information, um, to make the choice that's right for you. And we also will not leave you hanging, to be clear. So although we will open with some shock and awe about the damaging effects of hormonal birth control and even the copper IUD, we're going to talk about the Depo shot. We're going to talk about all forms of birth control. Um, But we will end today's episode talking about natural forms of birth control, including the fertility awareness method and how you can empower yourself using basal temperature control, cervical observation, and how this can be a 99.6% accuracy, which can be even more so accurate than oral birth control. Yep. (laughs) That's amazing. All right. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, We did talk about women's hormones back in episode 44, just kind of as an introductory podcast. Um, So that's definitely a good reminder for you guys to refer back to, as well as our carb cycling episode 75. I know we'll get into carb cycling or maybe we'll have time today. We'll see, but carb cycling (laughs) and the influence on progesterone. So that's something to consider if you're keto and dealing with irregular cycle. Um, But let's talk about what a natural period actually represents. So like, what does it mean for the body to have a period before we even talk about birth control? Because I think beyond prevention of pregnancy, a lot of us use or have used birth control to control our cycle. So what is totally. a period? Why do yeah. we get it? What's going on? I mean, I mean, so many people, I didn't look at the statistics, but I know from case studies in my patient population and myself personally, I mean, I was put on oral birth control at age 14. So the, the big concern that I have as a functional practitioner now is we are silencing the natural hormone production in just past prepubescent. You know, we're literally hitting after the first couple cycles of, um, teenhood, we're starting to already mess with the natural rhythm of the body and it's not considered to be anything out of the norm. Um, And so when we think of a cyclical period or or our cycle, um, having menstruation, this is a direct reflection of a balanced HPA axis. So again, the HPA axis stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenals, and this is our fight or flight axis of the body. So if the body is in chronic stress mode, which unfortunately we're seeing more and more female teens under high stress, whether it's the competition for colleges or overstress with social media or what have you. When we're in this reactive mode, remember our regulatory function gets shut down. So our regulatory function, we would call the HPO or HPG, standing for hypothalamic pituitary ovarian or gonad in in women or men access. And then we also look at a regulatory function called the HPAT, which is the thyroid connection element of that. So having a regular cycle tells us that that HPA axis is in check and that those stress hormones are not stealing from sexual hormones uh, and are not driving chronic inflammation or distress in the body. Uh, A regular menstrual cycle signals that likely hormones are being produced and are working in the way that they should and that reproductive health is sound which in turn, remember sexual hormones beyond reproduction play a role with stabilizing mood, supporting bone health, regulating our insulin levels and our metabolic hormones, regulating our sleep cycles, as well as hair and skin. Okay. So that's a lot right there. And, you know, just thinking about birth control as a Band-Aid covering up all of those really, really, like you said, it's a vital sign. It's totally wild. All those really important processes in the body and these other areas of dysfunction that are just not getting addressed at all. So let's break down now what oral birth control actually is, because it goes under so many different names and so many different formulations and has evolved over the years. But 
Yes. What is it? it what is it? It has. And, and there's yeah. different levels of hormone in oral birth control, you know, and, and based on manufacturer, like low, low estrin is one of the lower ones on the market. Um, but, you know, as we call the pill or the combined pill, uh, they're generally going to be, uh, first thing to, to note is all oral contraceptives, which is some form of hormone replacement therapy, are not bioidentical. They are synthetic hormones. So they fit in the receptor site of where the hormone should lodge, but that gives signals to the body to suppress the hormone production. And it doesn't sit perfectly. So it can, yes, block the ability to ovulate. That's the whole point of birth control is to not allow the body to ovulate so that you can't get pregnant. Um, but the way that they configure into the receptor, they can also cause a lot of unfavorable side effects, either based on that misshape of the synthetic or by the suppression of the natural hormone production. So combined pills, or generally speaking, the pill, um, is going to be a form of synthetic estrogen, ethanol estradiol, or oestrogen. And then the progesterone is always going to be in the form of progestin or a synthetic form of progesterone. And the co combined pills are going to be a combo of both a little bit of synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone. Usually these work in a cycle and have like a seven-day placebo, and that's when you're supposed to menstruate, and then you get kind of back on it. And we'll talk today about how estrogen peaks preceding progesterone peak trends in the body and, and kind of what that means for the rhythm of our body. So that's the combined pill. So at least that gives you some rhythm, if you will. The second kind of oral contraception, which is less um, popular, but this is the only one that's acceptable during uh, breastfeeding. So if we've had a baby and we want to have that guaranteed protection, you might be given a progestin only. Um, sometimes people call this the mini pill. Um, so that would be non-combination, having none of that synthetic estrogen and just having the synthetic progesterone. And then of these, like I said, some have that placebo. There's also pills like Seasonal, which skips the cycling and only allows for quarterly cycling or some OBGYNs and GPs. I'm, I'm hitting myself on the forehead if you can't hear it. Um, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. OBGYNs or, or um, GPs will instruct people to override the placebo. And just take days one through 21, one through 21, one through 21 to not cycle. Um, and, and you know, that can create thickening in the uterine lining and, and definitely distress. And I'll, I'll talk about the next kind of birth control before we go on to side effects. But the big picture with oral is that it's going to slow down our internal or endogenous hormone production. Um, and we're getting the hormone in a synthetic form. Okay. And yeah, like you said, many of us go on this at age 14 and don't come off until we're ready to have a baby. And it's like, how long have we been suppressing this natural cycle? And, and then we wonder why infertility, why right. and, and you look at the, I hate to be like a conspiracy theorist, but how many billions of dollars is the industry of infertility and IVF? Mm. Like, so the same <laughs> Serious. The same drug yeah. companies that suppress and shut down and mess with our hormone balance are the same companies that are monetizing by saying, it's okay, we can fix you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty slippery slope. Wild. Anyway, okay. So what about beyond the pill? Uh, what about IUDs or um, the Depo-Provera shot? There's also NuvaRing. I don't know if we're going to go there at all, but um, sure, let's, yeah. let's address... Um, those because I think oftentimes um, folks think that an IUD is going to be less of a hormonal concern, or if it's a copper IUD that doesn't have you know any hormones involved, I think there's still huge risks with all of those, right? Absolutely. And so when we're talking about, so NuvaRing is going to be inserted and this is going to give us synthetic progesterone and synthetic estrogen. Okay. And it's, a, it's, it's obviously the delivery is, is not dynamic or cyclical per se. It stays for three weeks and it's a steady slow dose of the same combination. And then, you know, you, you're supposed to pull it out to menstruate. Um, and then insert a new one. Again, same thing. Some women keep it in longer. I, I really think that the confidence interval of, in, of preventing pregnancy with NuvaRing is lower than mm -hmm. family awareness planning. So we'll talk about that. Um, the IUDs, there's either the marina that uses progestin, the synthetic form of progesterone, or there's the copper IUD. So the progestin is going to give us that, that 
fake form of progesterone, which can definitely throw off the body with mood stability. We'll talk about depression, anxiety, as well as um, hot flashes, insomnia. And the copper IUD, you may think you're safe doing that because, you know, well, you're not getting a synthetic hormone. But the function of the copper IUD is to actually create inflammation. It, it doesn't, that T-shape doesn't block sperm from entering the cervix. It actually creates inflammation that is toxic for eggs and semen so they can't survive. So I'm not pumped about doing that. <laughs> like if you're taking something that you know its mechanism of action is to produce an inflammatory reaction that is toxic inside your body on a daily basis. I see so many women that deal with severe cramping, GI distress, inflammatory cascades, and new diagnosis of autoimmune disease from use of IUDs. It's it's remarkable. And neuromuscular issues are quite severe, as well as things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And if you haven't had a baby, a lot of times they end up, you know, women end up having to take them out because you're just going to be you know, smaller for sure too. So I can't tell you how many people I've heard having to have the, have the copper taken out just because of the debilitating pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And Depo-Provera, so the shot um, is a form of medroxyprogesterone. So progesterone in a synthetic form. Um, and it has been shown side effects of beyond the depression, anxiety, weakness or fatigue, nervousness and anxiousness, panic attacks, insomnia, breast pain, swelling and tenderness, leg cramps, bloating and GI distress, acne, joint pain, hair loss, <laughs> redness, irritation, swelling, burning. And this is within the manufacturer oh. <laughs> that's stating these side effects and, and cold-like symptoms, um, cold or flu-like symptoms, and all forms of birth control across the board, oral, IUD, Depo-Provera, um, the NuvaRing create generally speaking, a lack in sexual desire or libido. Which is so interesting. It's like, is not is sexy. that what the birth control is doing? You know, like, we're not going to have sex anyways. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So totally mind-blowing just the list of side effects right there. And then I think it's really important to note and understand, and I don't think a lot of women are even aware of this, but when you're taking birth control and you go on those placebo pills or you... Um, you know, skip, you take out the NuvaRing, whatever we're doing, um, depending on the form. But when you go onto those placebos and you have a quote unquote cycle, it's not even a real period. So what's that all about? Like we're not obvious. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, the mechanism of birth control is to prevent ovulation. And so a true period is, following ovulation. And when that egg that's been released hasn't been fertilized, the shedding of the uterine lining. So there is still tissue shedding because the feedback from the dynamic slump or drop of progesterone, um, from that form of progestin, remember, not progesterone. Um, and that creates bleeding, uh, but it is not a actual period. It's, it's, it's very different. And so as we're talking about, if you choose to get off of birth control from what you've heard today, you will take about three months to recalibrate um, and your body to even, if it even starts ovulating within that three month period. Sure. It's just totally little known. Like nobody knows that, that you're not, <laughs> the period you're getting is just kind of a, it's a placebo period or it's a fake period. Yeah. It's basically just a, a hormonal bleed out, I guess. We could yeah. Call your, it. your eggs, your eggs are inactive. They're yeah. just hanging out. They're not getting released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into a little bit more of the shock and awe and go into more of the concerns of birth control side effects in general. And I know we've got a long, scary list. Yes. <laughs> so, so I mean, I've, I've named, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've named some, you know, but uh, the big areas I'd, I'd categorize are uh, weight gain and estrogen dominance. This is a big one. Uh, and sometimes if dealing with acne, that's where an individual would maybe go just on a progestin, um, if they're already seeing symptoms of estrogen dominance. But generally speaking, we see that I can't tell you how many physicians I work with as clients that I may want to, uh, put on, let's say DHEA, or that I may want to put on bioidentical progesterone 
and they're taking oral birth control and they have an anxiety about (laughs) taking DHEA in its bioidentical steroidal form to help to support their adrenals and then the downstream sexual hormone metabolites or to take bioidentical yam-derived progesterone, which was seen as clinically needed, and they don't connect the dots that they're taking a synthetic estrogen that has shown in studies to drive estrogen dominance and higher association of blood clots. It says it on the insert, as well as estrogen-related cancers. And so there's just a total disconnect about that weight gain and estrogen dominance. And I think that's a big thing. And then the next category that I would hit is depression, anxiety, insomnia, brain fog. And and that's where often then the teen girls have to go on the Adderall or the Vyvanse or the mood stabilizing drugs like Zoloft or what have you, uh, because there's just such a big influence on our natural production of progesterone and how that is a feel good um, contributor to our neurohormones. Um, I talk about this in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, that progesterone levels actually influence our GABA. So they help us to feel mellow and chill and calm and collected. And getting a good balance of both sexual hormones really plays a role with mental health. So, and when we see that with when women were hospitalized in in perimenopausal days, right? Um, So mood stability, huge, 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 weight gain, estrogen dominance, and then dysregulation of the HPA axis. So taking birth control can mask imbalance in the HPA axis, but it can also drive dysfunction. So it can mask what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, or when women lose their period because of too high of stress, where the hypothalamus is pushing all its energy towards the adrenals. And also the imbalance of the external hormones can drive oxidative stress and chronic stress response. Uh, So it can be kind of a double-edged sword. And then another, the last two I want to end with is infertility, as I mentioned, because you've been suppressing your body's ability to make hormone potentially for 10 years. Um, You know, most women, if they're taking it from age 14 to 24. Mm -hmm. And then your body says, what the what? Um, And the last one I'll note is nutrient deficiency. So there's tons of research studies looking at the role of varied forms of birth control, including progestin-only, combination pill, uh, vaginal rings, patches, IUDs, and all of them drive deficiency of folic acid, B2, B6, B12, CE, and then very important minerals, zinc, magnesium, and selenium. And interestingly enough, these are nutrients that when deficient drive infertility, right, drive fatigue, drive anxiety and interfere with our thyroid function and how many people are now dealing with hypothyroid when they cross into their thirties and so forth. Sure. That's huge. And the B12, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Sally, but when I came to you and first ran my micronutrients, we've talked about how I was a vegan at the time and was functionally deficient in B12. But guess what? I was also taking birth control for like sure, <laughs> sure. 10 years before that. So it's, it's totally wild that I'm sure we'll get into um, nutrient repletion and all of that yes. in a little bit here. Um, but that's a lot there. Um, how is this manifest <laughs> in terms of like side effects we would actually see in the body? I know we mentioned like hair loss as one, weight gain. Yeah. What else? So yeah, hair loss, weight gain, insomnia. We can see a lot of GI distress, chronic constipation or loose stools, especially with the IUD cramping and pain and bloating and distension. Uh, That can drive leaky gut because it's, again, creating inflammation and that uterine tissue is so close to the colon. We talked about that in last episode Mm -hmm. uh, when we talked about perfecting your poop and, you know, that estrogen relationship. So that's huge as well. Um, IBS symptoms can be due to your birth control. Um, UTIs and yeast infections are higher, um, concentrated in the population as well. And then, like I said, loss of libido and sexual dysfunction, which doesn't have us feeling (laughs) like maybe that's the right tool for, for a healthy sex life. Right. Oh my gosh. So much there. Um, and I know, um, I'd like us to talk about at least um, having a a backup plan. So we don't just want to, you know, if this has already convinced you yes. to come off your birth control, like you don't just stop, stop cold turkey stop, and then email me. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, so if we are choosing um, to come off the pill, um, 
let's talk about the importance of having a backup plan for pregnancy prevention once we're off. And we probably also want to try to hold off on getting pregnant until we get the body back in balance, right? Yes. So it's super important. I I would say ideally three months. Um, So I would actually, even if you're trying to get pregnant, so you got married, whatever, you're like, okay, honeymoon, I'm throwing, I got my ID removed or I'm throwing the pills in the trash and it's like this epic ceremonial thing. I would suggest that you have a goalie during your active days of fertility, which is only six days of your entire cycle. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Um, You can't get pregnant every day of the month. You can't get pregnant every day of your cycle. It's not possible. You release an egg in a 24-hour window, and sperm can live for up to five days. So that's what creates this six-day window. And I'm going to empower you guys today with how you can guarantee you know when that window is. But as you're learning the rhythm of your body and getting Getting to that confidence interval of 99.6% accuracy, you would want to have a backup plan of using condoms or diaphragm. Um, and especially if you wanted to widen that window, you know, it's like a 10 day p- period. Um, but ideally you want to nourish your body, replete those deficiencies that we know, the Bs, the minerals, the vitamin C, um, even things like glutathione, um, to support optimal hormone balance, support vital eggs. You don't want that first egg that's released out the gate from 10 years <laughs> to be the one that creates your baby. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> so like you want to get those guys moving and then, you know, really go forward from there. So repleting deficiencies um, and rebalancing your hormones naturally uh, is going to be super important to have the healthiest pregnancy possible and optimize your egg health and ensure that if you're not looking for pregnancy, you would still want to use that protection the first three months or so until you really get to become intimate in the understanding, again, and confidence of your body's environment and your body cycle. Sure. And like you said, it can take at least three months for that cycle to actually become start. regular or start, quite frankly. Yep. And, and a lot of times it's longer. And that's the unknown. I mean, that's like that classic when we say, you know, when you're breastfeeding, you can't get pregnant. That's why we have a lot of Irish twins, as they call it, (laughs) where when you're still breastfeeding and you didn't get a period yet, but you just ovulated. And before you got your first period, you just got pregnant. So, you know, that can happen too as you get off the pill. So definitely I recommend using some form of protection during that time. Okay. Awesome. And then as a goalie, not a hormone. (laughs) Yep. Okay. And then, um, when you do stop, what are some things to consider to prevent symptoms of, you know, the symptoms reoccurring? I think that's a big fear with a lot of women is like, okay, I went on this birth control. I haven't dealt with the cramps for 10 years. I haven't dealt with the acne for 10 years. Is it all going to just come back tenfold? How do we prevent those symptoms from recurring or being as debilitating? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, we want to support the nutrient deficiencies and work on hormone balance. And then, um, then let's talk about, about like, uh, maybe how to deal with bad periods, because I think that they're two different things. So the first thing I think, because going from the root cause, it's, it's repleting the nutrient state so that your body is in optimal functional health. And that in turn should help with hormone balance. And that in turn should make your period less of a pain as a monthly visitor. So the first thing I'd recommend is being on a good quality multivitamin with bioactive vitamin B6. So you want that P5P. You want methylated B vitamins like 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. You want chelated minerals. Um, So our multi-defense is fantastic for that. If you are menstruating, you likely want the multi-defense with iron. Um, And then we actually just came out with, we may have it on the website, hopefully by the time this goes live, our multi, is it it called multi-avail mama? Something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, I, think I think it's called multi-avail mama because we have multi-avail kids. Yeah. I think it's multi-avail mama, meaning a multivitamin in its most bioavailable form as a prenatal. So even if you're not, again, trying to get pregnant, you want to be on a prenatal ideally a year before you try to get pregnant to be in optimal health for fertility. So I think that that's a great one for women in that fertile age. If you're, you know, not in that age, you could just do the multi-defense. So high quality multivitamin first step. 
And you could even start that, and I would recommend a couple months prior to stopping your birth control to get you above water. Uh, that will make less of a cliff shift, if you will. Another one I'd strongly recommend is our Relax and Regulate Powder. So I mentioned magnesium gets depleted. This has magnesium bisglycinate and inositol. Inositol is a cousin to the B vitamin family, and this helps with cellular signaling. It is a huge tool we use clinically with PCOS. It helps with hormone management and and balance. It helps with insomnia, stress, and anxiety. So it's a relaxer, a mood stabilizer, and a sexual hormone balancer. And then the mag glycinate in there as well is going to help with muscle relaxation on a neuromuscular level. So if you dealt with debilitating cramps, when I get to that part of today's uh, topic, we'll talk about how you can pulse that formula up and you know do like three scoops leading up to your period so that you don't deal with significant heavy cramps. But that as one scoop a night as a baby baseline is a great hormone manager and rebalancer. And then um, you may even consider on top of the multi-defense or multi-mama a B-complex, especially if you're dealing with fatigue or um, uh, like energy imbalance. And then along those lines, I would consider like our stress manager bundle or something like that with the calm and clear and the adaptogen boost as tools to help that HPA axis regulation. Remember I mentioned that one of the first signs of not getting your period is based on hypothalamic amenorrhea. And what that fancy word means is that the body's under such high stress, either from over-exercising or from over-calorie restricting or under-sleeping or just over-ruminating. And um, that's going to put the ovaries in shutdown mode, especially compounding if they had that synthetic hormone blocking their function. Awesome. I think that's super helpful as kind of a jumping off point. And then what about um, shifts in the diet? What would you Yeah. Oh, super important too, for sure. So, you know, obviously we're going to want to go low glycemic. I would say if you are considering keto, but you're not yet in keto, I wouldn't transition into a ketogenic diet the first month of getting off of birth control because that's a little bit of two dynamics. There is a huge influence and we talk about this in episode 75. And I'm actually going to, in part two of this episode, go deeper into mechanisms of keto on our FSH and LH hormones. But the ketogenic diet has a dynamic impact on hormones. So I would recommend starting low glycemic. If you already are keto adapted, then I wouldn't say you have to stop keto to be clear, but I wouldn't make that diet change the same month you stop your birth control. So at least low glycemic, um, keeping carbs under control, uh, focusing on ample protein and fat is going to be extremely important. So protein at all meals, encouraging healthy fats, and um, pulling out soy in all of its forms, especially you no know, soy milk or um, like tofu or tempeh, because that's going to drive that estrogen dominance. Awesome. And what about um, dietary fats? Because I know that's probably an important piece of the puzzle too. Yeah. I mean, fats are our insulators to our vital organs and our sexual hormones have such an expression with fats. For instance, GLA, um, gamma linoleic acid is seen as a favorable fat in the second half of our cycle. Uh, it's also a favorable fat that thins out the cervix when we're talking about that end of that last trimester. And that's something we use often in the menopausal community to balance hormones. So fats are fantastic. The first fats I'd focus on in a supplemental form though, across the board would be an EPA DHA or omega-3 fatty acid. So like our EPA DHA extra would be a great tool to reduce inflammation also, as you approach your cycle, if it's likely going to be clottier and heavier because it might be your first true period in a while. So this fish oil is going to help to thin the blood as well as reducing that cramping and bloating and pain. So that's a great tool to have on deck for certain uh, regularly and another one you could pulse up if needed. And then for foods, we'd want to aim for wild caught food, um, wild caught fish, excuse me, like two to three times a week. We'd want to be focusing on at least like half an avocado a day. That's great for folic acid. And that's going to be a great form of B vitamins and potassium and magnesium getting in our um, leafy greens, but dressing them with olive oil, getting fat throughout the day is huge. Macadamia nuts as a snack and such um, is going to be a really great tool. Awesome. And then what about um, in terms of absorption of fats, digestate yeah. as a recommendation? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, because just eating the fats isn't always enough. Um, so we want to optimize our digestive absorbability. So the digestate is going to have that ox bile and that, um, lipase, which helps us to emulsify or basically gather the fats and absorb the nutrients that are associated with fats. So we see that vitamin D deficiency, for instance, uh, you know, our fat soluble vitamins are A, D, E, and K. So we see that vitamin D actually is more hormone than it is vitamin. It functions as a hormone, as a steroid in the body. And when vitamin D levels are low, we can see irregular periods, fibroid growth. We can see PMS, PCOS, and an early start to menopause. So a super important nutrient. And if you're taking that supplementally, you might want to consider a vitamin D with a K1, K2 blend. But first and foremost is using and absorbing the fats you're consuming. And then the other ones like A and E um, can contribute to heavy bleeding, dry skin, acne, thyroid dysfunction, a lot of things that you may have been, again, taking the pill for in the first place. So using a digestive enzyme with your higher fat meals is a really good tool for sure. Awesome. And then if we're dealing with um, skin conditions or breast tenderness or symptoms of excessive estrogen, which likely after we come off the pill or even prior to that, we might've been estrogen dominant and the pill kind of just perpetuates that, right? Right. Um, What would we do about the detox of excessive estrogen? What would you recommend? So fiber is key for foods. Um, So we think of like I3Cs, which are in our Brussels sprouts, our cruciferous vegetables. So our cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, these really help to support detoxification of estrogen. And um, then fibers in the form of, I'm a big fan of our phytofiber supplement for that as well. It helps to bind excess hormone. So it would kind of aid with the detoxification process to get all that exogenous synthetic hormone out of the body and allow the body reset so that those signals aren't saying that there's enough hormone and the body starts to create. And then if you're dealing with actual belly fat, skin conditions like acne or breast tenderness, I would also recommend our ultimate detox because that's going to have calcium D-gluconate and that helps to accelerate the removal of excess estrogen as well as balancing out hormones when promoting the liver and the kidneys. Awesome. I think that's super helpful in terms of the detox support. And then um, we might also want to consider at this time a beat the bloat cleanse um, to reset our gut microbiome because I know For sure. birth control has a huge impact on um, sterilizing the microbiome and um, can drive more dysbiosis and yeast infections, like you said. Yeah. And estrogen is detoxified by the colon. So definitely a beat the bloat cleanse would be something to consider. And then once you've, if you're going from, you know, a higher carb paleo diet, minimum low glycemic, but then, you know, again, once you've been a month or so off, you may consider a ketogenic diet to further help with hormone reset, especially if you have a history of PCOS. Sure. Okay. Awesome. So along the lines of diet. This is something that keeps coming up with clients and I just want to make sure we address it. Um, what are your thoughts, Ellie, on seed cycling? What's the deal? Is it a real thing? Can it be helpful? (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, moon dust, (laughs) like hippie voodoo. Um, so, you know, there, the idea of seed cycling is focusing on, in theory, a little bit of estrogen and progesterone balance and using different seeds that have connection within our follicular and luteal stages. So, you know, most seed cycling comes down to the concept that the hulls of a seed contain lignans, which is the binding or stickiness component, and that helps to bind excess hormone, whereas the seed oil contains more essential fatty acids, which are drivers or composition builders for hormones. So like I said, that's why fats are so important in the diet. Um, and, And I will say when I'm looking at salivary hormone expression, I am looking at something called the estrogen quotient. And the estrogen quotient um, provides us with information of our antagonistic estriol, which is E3, and that combats against estrogen dominance. And it compares that to the combination of estrone and estradiol, our E1 and our E2. So if someone's 
estrogen quotient is off. Um, I do recommend using flax seed actually in a whole food form like flax crackers, uh, days one through 14 of their cycle. And the reason for this is that that can bind that excess estrogen. And that's the time in the body when estrogen is peaking. So there is a little bit of logic and theory on that piece of it. Um, and that's the only component of seed cycling that I've actually seen some clinical research on. So there was actually a study done on phytoestrogens, which you know are abundant in flaxseed and soy. Um, and it looked at the varied forms of estrogen the varied metabolites of estrogen. And the conclusion of the study was that flax seeds modify urinary estrogen metabolites and that they do this actually great, greater than the influence of soy, but with a favorable expression on the metabolism to favor the less biologically active estrogens. So basically it helps that estrogen quotient or reduces estrogen dominance, if that makes sense. So we've actually seen that in research and that's the only seed cycling that i follow um, in, in sense, if you want to call it seed cycling or, or using basically that lagnan as a tool. What, I, what I've read or come across as further recommendations is that they break it into phase one, phase two, and phase one is the um, follicular stage. And phase one does use flax seeds in a ground form. Um, and then phase one, um, some protocols also will use pumpkin seeds with zinc um, because zinc does help to support aromatization or blocking of excess estrogen and supports progesterone. So there's some theory in there. Um, and then what they'll do is in the phase two, which is days 15 onward through the cycle, um, that luteal phase, they'll uh, shift from estrogen to progesterone production further, giving omega-6s, the lignans being from sesame, and then sunflower seeds. Um, and what I read was because of the selenium to assist detox. But again, it's like Brazil nuts have more selenium, so that's just sexy because it's seed cycling, but I guess Brazil nuts didn't make the cut because they're not a seed. And, um, you know, the other thing on it is I, I don't believe that the variances of one tablespoon or two tablespoons of these seeds added to your smoothie right. <laughs> is going to be dynamic enough to, to, to make the count. Um, but I mean, I will say, like I said, the, the flax for sure has been shown in research. So that makes sense to use for women days one through 14 of your cycle. If you're prone towards estrogen dominance, I don't think there's a harm in eating these foods. Um, and you know, I used, uh, evening primrose oil and GLA, um, as insertions, um, in my last two weeks of pregnancy to thin out my cervix. So like I said, there are hormonal influences, but I was using like a two gram dosage concentrated gel capsule that I was piercing and then inserting in my vagina, um, <laughs> to thin my cervix, uh, versus eating, sesame seeds. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a direct effect. I think there's some logic behind it, but I, I wouldn't put a lot of money on the table that it's going to be a game change. But I, I think at the end of the day, if you're not cycling, if you're someone that's dealing with amenorrhea and you want to find rhythm for your body, some of the connection is maybe following the moon. Um, and so you could basically use the new moon as day one, um, and, and do, you know, the days one through 14, um, which is the full moon should hit from the new moon 14 days in and full, full moon historically has always, um, been identified as ovulation. So that's kind of the concept there. So I guess if you're doing everything you can under the sun, you're trying to get your body back to a cycle, it could be something fun to play with. Sure. Cause it's like, you get to kind of create that cycle. Your body will find its rhythm, but if you don't have yeah. a cycle, you can kind of influence in, in those and, ways. But yeah. And mostly, I do that fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. I do that functionally with bioidentical progesterone yeah. with my yeah. clients, but yes. you know, again, yeah. a little more direct, yeah. but, but so the moon seed cycling kind of hippie voodoo, but um, I'll link to our favorite flax crackers anyway. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. That as a resource. Um, so Allie, if you were, taking the pill for um, severe cramping, for example, uh, let's get to some of what we can do. I know we said relax and regulate would be a really great tool, but for our ladies with really bad periods, let's talk about just a couple of clinical yes. pearls. Yes. So, so starting 
two days prior to your expected period. And if you're using a calendar app, which I recommend to start like Kindara or Wink or things like that, you know, it will give you those stars of ovulation. I will say to you very clearly, and we're going to have to cut this episode shortly. So I want to, we'll jump around a little bit in a moment, but um, I will say to you very clearly, calendar tracking is not fertility awareness method. That is not a hundred percent sound. <laughs> that is not going to necessarily be a safe way to track your ovulation. So I just want to be clear there. But if you are tracking, tracking your cycle just just loosely like that and you're expecting your period two days or so prior to your expected period to up your relax and regulate to two scoops. And then during your period, the first two days, which are usually the most gnarly and crampy, doing about three scoops of that. I also the same with super turmeric. I recommend super turmeric as a daily baseline formula to reduce inflammation at least one a day, but you could start with two to three a day, two days leading up, and then go up to three to five of super turmeric on your days of your intensive cramps. And then same thing with the EPA DHA extra, the omega-3 anti-inflammatory. So anti-inflammatories work like instead of taking Motrin (laughs) or Aleve, you know, you're just reducing the inflammation, which is necessary to thin the lining of your uterus. You're, You're breaking down tissue. So your body creates a lot of distress. So upping your EPA DHA extra to four a day, like two twice daily. And then I also recommend for clients to do Epsom salt baths to get that magnesium transdermally. And then um, CBD oil can be used topically in a salve um, and orally to help with that inflammation and regulate the system of the body. Awesome. And then we might want to go ahead and run our hormones and kind of see what things are looking like, you know, after three months or so off, if our cycle's still off, or if we're just looking for optimal fertility, um, we might want to go ahead and proceed with running the neurohormone complete plus to look at where our hormone levels are actually falling. Yeah. And then, you know, we could consider at that point, Maca is one that you can kind of consider right off the bat, but if you are seeing very low hormones, sometimes people need bioidentical progesterone to to reset their system because it's actually the progesterone crash that is supposed to drive your first day of your period. Um, And that's what causes the shedding of of the lining for sure. So I think we're going to need to talk deeper in next episode about the four phases of your cycle. So actually like what our period is, um, I think we need to dig a little bit deeper into what happens if we're still not cycling. What does our output mean? Like if it's rust colored blood or clotty blood, what we can do about that. I have so much to share and, and the influence of detox on the body and hormones. Um, but I want to just give you guys a little bit in today's episode of the background of what you could use for natural birth control prevention or as a fertility tool. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like this might be three or even like four episodes. Let's just be honest here. So I know, I know. Because so to be continued. But yeah. So we're easy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're going to go into in next episode, the, the variability of the four phases of your cycle. And the big take home is that when you are ovulating, you actually have a shift in your body temperature. Um, Our progesterone is thermodynamic essentially. And so it's a heat inducing hormone. So right post ovulation, that surge of certain hormones in the body, which we'll get into is going to create a basal temperature change. And like I said, you know, calendar tracking is not going to be the tightest because sometimes we may have a 26 day cycle, a 28 day cycle, a 32 day cycle. So just saying that you ovulate on day 13 or day 14 is not going to be accurate. But what you can do is use a basal body temperature, which is significantly more sensitive than like a standard thermometer. Okay. So you have to use your basal body temperature using a basal thermometer. And you will see that your waking temperature, you take your body temperature every morning, you keep it by your nightstand, you travel with it. And there is a smart temperature thermometer called the Daisy that I've been using. And it's very cool. It tracks with an app and you'll take your temperature right in the morning and we'll see a variance of, um, our body degree to be dynamic, um, as an increase during that ovulation time. And so we'll know that we're actually ovulating first and foremost by that temperature change. And the DAISY uses smart technology 
to actually tell us it's about 0.8 to 1.4 degrees difference in our body temperature at rise. And um, we can actually see that a five-day window of fertility will be designated by this thermometer. So it gives you a green light when you are safe to not get pregnant, 100% can have completion of sex with your partner, you know, without pulling out, <laughs> without better lack of terms. What do you mean by completion? Completion, <laughs> finish, whatever Which the term you want to. So much more fulfilling for everyone yeah. involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so you can actually have safe, full sex with completion during the green days. Then there will be five red days and the five red days start with that known ovulation. Um, and what we then see is, um, the days that again, your egg only survives 12 to 24 hours after being released, but sperm can be in your body for five days, right? So, um, it gives you this six day window of red lights. And then if you're inconsistent, you might get a yellow light. So then you might want to determine if that means you just don't go to completion, or that means that you use a condom or whatever works for you. But consistency of use of this tool is 99.6% accurate. So it's pretty sweet. We will get deeper into this, but I just wanted to let you know there's a tool like this out here. I'm going to put a link in the show notes with a referral code, which will save you $20 on it. I believe it's around $300, but if you add up your monthly cost of birth control, this has a five-year guarantee. And there's just something very reassuring and and sexy about that morning scene, that green light that definitely boosts my libido. It does. It's like, I'm like, hey. Green means go. I just opened a tab. I'm buying one by the time my next episode comes out. You've been telling me about it and I'm like, it's totally, you know, mind blowing. And, um, I've always known about this as the natural family planning method, but to sync up the smart technology really does. Absolutely. I mean, the calendars and the graphs and the confidence interval lines and the penciling and the racing and the (laughs) body temperature reading. I'm like, no, no, no. Like this is, this is awesome. Um, and so I'm just super jazzed about it. It comes with no side effects. Yes. You do have to be consistent with your body temperature. And at next episode, We'll talk about the four phases of your cycle. We'll talk about what your cycle is telling you about your body and then more details on how you can use this fantastic tool. Um, So thank you for listening. I hope you've learned a lot. And um, as you can tell, there's so much more to share. Um, If you get a moment, you can jump on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a note on um, what you're enjoying learning about. And then also, if you haven't gotten a copy yet of the Anti-Anxiety Diet, please head over to Amazon, get yourself a book. It's on sale right now. And after you've purchased it, please, please, please take a moment to leave a review. I'd really like to get the reviews over a hundred and share the anti-anxiety diet and tools of food as medicine and mood management and stability with the masses. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.